Warning, the following podcast may contain some fits of extreme nerd rage, especially when it comes to the world of professional wrestling. As such, there may be a few colorful pieces of language thrown around. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back once again, ladies and gentlemen, to the Wrestling Ramblings and Rages podcast. I am your host with the most, James Shimo himself. Here at Sheemanator Productions, thank you so much for joining us, guys. We have a lot to get to today, but before we do, allow me to introduce my co-hosts. First of all, he is the man right underneath my face. If you are watching this on the YouTubes at youtube.com forward slash Sheemanator Productions, he is the one and only Mr. Ryan Payne. Ryan, how you been, man? How you doing today? Doing good, actually. Uh, I'll be honest. After our last discussion, when we talked about the return of CM Punk, it felt very excited. Like, uh, I'm not going to say I wasn't, like, at, uh, like, super levels of excitement for wrestling, but this, but that news and what we're going to talk about today, it did make me very excited as a wrestling fan, I will say. Like, absolutely, absolutely. And advanced levels of excitement. (laughs) Uh, You're not going to hear any argument from me. A new day is rising in all elite wrestling, to be sure. And here to help us cover that for the first time since we've gone back to the new format, it is the one and only... Mr. Brenton McPherson. Brenton, how you doing today, man? Pretty good. Sorry that you can't see me, guys. I apologize. We'll fix that in the future. Um, super excited. Um, super excited to cover CM Punk, considering that is my favorite wrestler. Those of you have, who have listened should probably know that by now, because um, I know these two gentlemen do all too well. Um, so we'll get into that here in a little bit. Yes, indeed, we absolutely will. But before we get into everything that went down at AEW's All Out, as well as some of the fallout that came down on the following episodes of Dynamite and AEW Rampage, we do want to go ahead and get a few things out of the way. First and foremost, there is uh, there's not a lot in the way of news outside of what happened at the pay-per-view, but we will discuss that momentarily. But before we get into that, I do want to send out a huge shout-out to the one and only Miss Piper Niven, a.k.a. Viper, a.k.a. Dewdrop. Congratulations and Mazel Tov on your nuptials, which took place this past weekend. That is right. She got married, tied the knot, and we here at the Wrestling Ramblings and Rages podcast wish you and your spouse nothing but the best moving forward. Congratulations and best, just best wishes all around. Yep. I Yes, yeah, same here. I saw that uh, post that she shared on her page, and I was really, su- I mean, not surprised, but I was really excited to see that even uh, that, you know, that outside of wrestling, she is living her best life. And uh, it is very sad. I mean, uh, I, I don't follow her, uh, Piper Nevin uh, or Viper as much as I used to when she was a part, when she was wrestling the British circuit. But she, seeing that post from there made me very happy knowing that she was doing, that she, you know, outside of what WWE is doing with her, that she's not letting it stop her from wanting to live her life. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, granted, Crappy creative aside, it doesn't take away from being able to enjoy the, the simple pleasures in life, like, you know, spending the rest of your life with someone who you truly enjoy. Uh, Brendan, anything to add? Uh, I mean, as as a worker, she's awesome. Um, as a person, she seems like a great human being. Um, aside from that, yeah, just shitty creative. I mean, doe drop, do drop, whatever the hell. Called, like that is the one of the dumbest names I've ever heard of. Yeah. Um, 
They try and do characters and just, just stupid, character. stupid creative, typical WWE. Yeah. Um, you know, but other than that, you know, congratulations to her, which her and her husband, nothing but the best, nothing but happiness. Um, and I know she can do uh, great things because she is extremely talented. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, with that out of the way, we will go ahead and we will move into our review of AEW's All Out Pay-Per-View, which aired live Sunday, September 5th from the Now Arena in Chicago, Illinois. It was very, it was a monumental evening across the board. It, it is, of course, All Out, uh, w, or, sorry, AEW's biggest show of the year. I almost turned into Jim Ross there for half a second. I swear to God. I'm sorry, folks. Um, no, it was AEW's biggest show of the year. It was a massive, massive event. And there was a lot that went down. Some not-so-surprising things, some very surprising things. And we will get into those here momentarily. Let us begin with the buy-in pre-show. This was it was a fun, nice little 10-man tag match. It was the best friends consisting of Orange Cassidy, Chuck Taylor, and Wheeler Yuta. And alongside the Jurassic Express, obviously represented by Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, against the Hardy Family Office, Matt Hardy, Private Party, and <clears throat> excuse me there, TA2, aka oh, uh, and Helico and Jack Evans. Good, yeah, good. Ringside. Sorry, I thought the Blade was in the match, but he's at ringside. <laughs> no, Blade and Buddy were at ringside, and we'll get into more on that and uh, everything else after we get done with the match breakdown. Again, solid, just solid overall fun. Just it, it's your typical, you know, ten man melee. You know, everything's going up there. There's a chain of, you know, submission holds, which again, of course, eventually gets broken up by uh, Luchasaurus, if I'm not mistaken. A whole bunch of fun, but in the end, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy hit their finisher in order to win the match, send the baby faces home with the winner's purse, and get the crowd just hyped and ready to go for the pay per view. Uh, like I said, fun overall opening brawl. I'm not going to give it like a star rating or anything. That's not what we do here. We just rate the whole event as a whole, not match by match. We are not Dave Meltzer. Anyway, uh, we'll go to Brenton here first. Brenton, what were your thoughts on this match? Uh, you, again, for a, a fun little buy-in pre-show match, uh, at least in my opinion, I thought it worked. What did you think? I, you know, I mean, yeah, just like you said, just a typical you know, pre-show match. I mean... It looked like everybody in there, you know, had some type of chemistry. You know, I think they've all worked together at some point in some type of tag match. Um, you know, it was good just to get the fans hyped because, I mean, anytime, you know, Jurassic Express is out there, the crowd's going to get hyped. So, you know, that helped getting the crowd going and getting them amped up for the, the actual pay-per-view itself. Um it was like, but yeah, for a, it was a, it was a solid match. I mean, I wouldn't, like I said, or like you said, you know, not Dave Meltzer. We can't really rate. We could, but it probably we wouldn't could, be that accurate. I mean, uh, we could but, everything, but it's better to do this as a whole. Yeah. I, it, it, but it, it was, it wasn't a bad, like, it was okay. It was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it was a, like I said, decent, good way to get the, the crowd that's filing into uh, the now arena who haven't gotten their ice cream bars from the, the concession stand yet, you know, get them all hyped, get them all in their seats, get them ready to go and get them amped up for a good night of wrestling. Uh, Ryan, your overall thoughts. Um, yeah, very good match. Honestly, uh, the outcome didn't, I, it went differently than what I thought it was going to be expected to, but 
Uh, I did like the change of styles that we had, the change of pair-offs that we going in the ring. I mean, I did see a lot of focus on... They did put at least some emphasis with Matt Hardy trying to get his boys to uh, wear down towards Cassidy whenever Cassidy was in the ring or he was around because, you know, they, they're, they're, they're continuing that long-standing little feud between Cassidy and Hardy. But I did like the inclusion of Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. They really did help... Uh, I, I did like that spot earlier on when Jack Evans and Helico were like on each other's shoulders, kind of like doing being all brash and ego, you know, being egotistic. And then all of a sudden, what happens? They see Jungle Boy, who's like running Luchasaurus, comes into a very chicken fight, I will say. That yeah, was it's like a chicken fight in the pool. Yeah, it was very interesting. I mean, we've always seen like Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus always come out together with Jungle Boy on the shoulders, but it was very interesting to actually see. A different uh strat a, a different level to it the fact that they can because of, i did i forgot exactly how tall and helico was he's not as tall as the source the dude is very towering he's not it, doing flips <laughs> he is definitely he, tall he's tall to an extent but that torso is stupid yeah. his, <laughs> like yeah, not in the bad like, way it's like the size of his torso is like the size of his legs and his arms and his head all combined into one. Yeah, yeah. It, it was pretty ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, I did like the how the how the match ended. I mean, with uh, I believe it was I think no, yeah, yeah Jungle Boy and Luke Swords make the pin, and then of course with Cassie in the ring. Still, I mean, I don't know why Cassie was still in the ring, but then when they jump him, and then we see the return of the Butcher, which yeah, <laughs> got a little. I mean, I'll admit, it was a good little surprise for everyone. I mean, not every not everybody in Chicago was popping, but those who knew the Butcher definitely looked at him, and it was good to see him back. Now the Blade can no longer be just a singles wrestler; you can get back to the Butcher and the Blade as a team again. Yeah, whether that's for good or for ill, we'll see. But um, yeah, I do enjoy their work as a tag team, uh, at least for right now. I'm not as familiar with each of their work as I'd like to be, uh, but hopefully now that they're back together and now that. Uh, you know, this whole, whatever the situation was with the Butcher has, yep, has passed. Yeah. Now we can get back to, you know, showcasing them a little bit more, make them like really the enforcer tag team of the Hardy family office and maybe push that. Maybe maybe we'll get Butcher and Blade versus the Lucha Bros at some point, but yeah. uh, not trying to spoil anything uh, for later on, but I think I just did. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, Brenton, thoughts on the return of the Butcher? Um... Like, yeah, I, it was. I didn't really like. It, it was a nice surprise, but it wasn't like a huge pop, you know. I was just like, you know, it's kind of those things. Oh, cool, Butcher's back, you know. Um, personally, I like the blade. I liked his stuff from whenever he was an impact. Um, yeah, when it was Braxton, you know. But it. it Oh, one second, guys. Uh, yeah, the audio cutting out. Yeah, I couldn't tell if the audio was cutting in and out, or if we just couldn't, if we just couldn't hear him, or if he was taking a long pause. I wasn't sure. No. I mean, I think I see. I, I think I know where Brenton. I, I don't know where Brenton was. Can you hear me, guys? Oh, yeah. We can hear. We can hear you for a second now. I'm saying we can hear you. Can you hear us? Give it a moment. Okay. Uh, well, while we try to figure this out, apologies, folks. 
Uh, but we will go ahead and we will move into uh, the next stage of the show while we're waiting to get uh, Brenton's audio figured out. Uh, and what a way to start off the show, really. I mean, we had the TNT Championship up for grabs. It was Miro versus the Mad King, Eddie Kingston. Uh, we got a couple of chats in the audience. What up, Matt? Good to see you, man. Yeah, how you doing, brother? Thanks for stopping by. We appreciate it. Yeah. So, yeah, we get into this match with Miro versus Eddie Kingston. Um, I really enjoyed this match. I also really, really enjoyed the the promos and everything leading up to it, the whole story behind it. It's like, you know, you've got a you got a weakness there, Miro. It's that neck of yours. It's that stack of dimes where if I drop you the DDT or something like that, it's going to cause real problems for you. And I thought I thought that was a great story. I thought that was some great psychology used. Um a lot of heat on the referee for this match because oh yeah, like I, I don't know if it was in, like it felt to me like unintentional heat. Unfortunately, <laughs> I mean it makes sense when you look at it in the long run. I mean the referee can't allow for the turnbuckle pad to remain off because it presents a hazard to the wrestler. He it's his job to fix it. There, ergo, he's going to miss a few things, and that unfortunately is what ended up happening here. Uh, Ryan, let's go ahead and go to you first. Obviously, in the end, uh, Nero. Would have liked to go for the, the game over, but Eddie Kingston breaks out of it, distracts the ref, takes him to Dick Kick City, as Brian Zane would like to say, hits him with a nice little kick to the side of the head, pins him one, two, three, your winner, and still AEW TNT champion Miro. Um, Ryan, thoughts on the overall match? I, like you, also enjoyed this too. We got like a very, it, this match really played itself like a, a good brawler. Uh, slash kind of hoss fight in a way between two, yeah. Um, I won't say mountain men, but two men of sizes that they relied more on their striking ability and their tech and also their technical know how of each other's like weaknesses. Like you said in that promo, Eddie Kingston noticed that Miro has a weakness. And I will say one thing that AW's done well with Miro they book him as a big monster, but when he went up against opponents that were smaller than him they did create a bit of a weakness for him. Like when he went up against Lee Johnson and, and against Fuego Del Sol, they said that he's a very vulnerable to the neck, like moves that's targeting the, uh, the neck or at least around his upper body. And you saw Eddie Kingston take advantage of that with those Saito suplexes, trying to use half Nelson suplex, even that hurricane fist. And Miro really realizing even not just being like this, not like how Dodo, you would book as this big brute who would not acknowledge his weaknesses. He acknowledged what he was weak at. So when there were moment where Eddie Kingston wanted to use that backfist, back Miro made sure to avoid that at all costs while using his power to slow Eddie down. And then I liked, yeah, that moment when he ripped that turnbuckle off, to me, I thought that was intentional. But then seeing how uh, JR the other on at the announcing desk was reacting to it. It sounded like that wasn't meant to happen, honestly. Like, that was a pure accident. It sounded like it. I mean, and who knows? Maybe that's just the, them playing it off and this and that. But um, I, I like what you mentioned there. It's like, it's almost like the, the big hoss versus the the small guy, like the, the big show versus Rey Mysterio formula, except with two guys that aren't the size of big show or Rey Mysterio. But it told the exact same story with, again, slightly different players, but with a similar vein and a similar... Okay, I've got to attack this weakness. I've got to attack. I've got to be strategic about this. And I like that we got a little bit more psychology and a little bit more, you know, a more, I won't say methodical, but a much more well-reasoned and well, yeah, strategic match than other than we probably would have gotten otherwise in this situation. And I think that's why it's smart what AEW is doing with Mira right now. Uh, Brent, are you back with us, my friend? 
Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. We can, yes, we can hear you. Yeah. Uh, so your awesome. thoughts on the overall match? Um. I yeah, I enjoyed the match. Um, the storytelling was fantastic. Um, especially Eddie Kingston. I mean, you can, the guy is just so he's incredible at what he does. Um, Miro too, but like, like Ryan is saying with the Saito suplexes and you know, playing to the 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 whole knowing Miro has a weakness and you know, going for that weakness um, was brilliant storytelling. And um, I know a lot of people that I've talked to that are, you know, that follow AEW were very surprised that they didn't give it to Eddie. And I'm like, there's more, there's another story that's not happened yet. That's going to happen. And, James and I were kind of talking about this before we started the broadcast. Um, and I, I'm not going to go into the full detail because it would take forever, but um, they've still got the story, the story to tell with Miro and Kip Sabian. Um, so that's, that was my take on why they didn't give it to Eddie. Um, Eddie will get it. I think Eddie will get it eventually, but. Other than that, it was a solid, solid match. I do want to bounce off of you, Brendan, for a second. Also, look at the way how Eddie lost. Because if you look at the way how Miro has won all of his matches, he has used that game over submission. He used it against Darby, Lance Archer, Wago, Lee Johnson. I know he's, he, they said it was his seventh to, on the head to display, it was a 17 title defense going on the line. So that has been his definite finishing move. And the fact that he had to pin Eddie Kingston. It does leave some opening for maybe a rematch between the two down the line and the fact he had to use dirty tactics to beat him. Now, I do agree with you. I do think that opening story on Kid Savings can happen. And also with Fuego Del Sol, the fact that that little storyline of Fuego trying to get a contract with Miro and the fact it was Sammy Guevara that brought it in, it opens the door for three potential opponents for Miro's TNT title with Eddie Kingston, Sammy Guevara, possibly Fuego Del Sol again, or when Kid Saban does come back. So as far as the long-term story goes, we, there is plenty more defenses that Miro has set up for him. And I do agree. I think Kip Saban is going to be the one because I think during our predictions, I, James, I tried to look up when Lana's contract, 90-day no-compete clause had extended. It was done. And yep. You said it was done. So maybe if she ever does show up to AEW, because Miro keeps saying his promos about his double-jointed wife, I'm like, you keep – pulling at that thread for so long, it's like you're going to either need to pull the gun with her or it's just something he's just going to keep saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, time will tell with that storyline. We can't know the full machinations of what is going on behind the scenes with, obviously, Tony Khan, the rest of the EVPs, the, uh, the Turner Network, which, yeah. let's not forget, here in a couple of months, in January, that network is going to be moving. and we'll, uh, AEW Dynamite will now be on TBS rather than TNT rampage with the new with the with the new TBS championship right yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's what everybody's saying and I, I really think uh, it's going to be the TV title honestly it, it yeah they, they just need to change it to the TV championship because it'd that's be hilarious it'd be hilarious if someone if Miro just for fun just puts duct tape around the TNT title and just writes TBS <laughs> yeah yeah that'll be interesting anyway. 
Let's move to the next match here. We've got John Moxley versus Satoshi Kojima, a Japanese legend. Uh, I said in our predictions, and I think I called it right, Ryan, this was going to be a stiff, stiff match, and I did not lie, did I? This match was nuts. I mean, you want to talk about guys who are known for brawling, two guys who are known for just bringing, bringing the leather, bringing the heat, and it was an overall just absolute, to quote JR, a slobber knocker of a match. Great back and forth. Obviously, uh, Kojima looking for that lariat, uh, not being able to hit it, hitting it at one point, but with the wrong hand, so it's not near as devastating. Moxley, of course, going for uh, the paradigm shift, eventually does hit it uh, and does get the pinfall victory over Satoshi Kojima. One hell of a match, but again, the forbidden door itself thrown wide open after the match. Japanese legend and well-known absolute badass Minoru Suzuki hits the ring. And as soon, like my girl will tell you, we were watching it and I saw that name pop up. I went, oh shit. Because I knew it was about to be on like neck bone sucker, as Booker T would say. And I know I'm a face-to-face <laughs> white guy saying it, and I'm sure Ryan just got a huge kick out of it. So, yeah. but um, yeah, so we'll go to Brenton here first. Your thoughts on the overall match between Mox and Kojima? as well as uh, the debut of Minoru Suzuki in AEW. Obviously, he's not contracted to AEW, but a nice little flyover from New Japan for a nice little uh, program on Mox. What would you think? I mean, stiff is, stiff's an understatement. I mean, yeah. I mean, Moxley will take – I'm pretty sure if you introduced a, a freaking handgun into a match, Mox would take a bullet, like – yeah, well, I mean, he, he, is, he is the current reigning GCW champion. Took it off of Matt Cardona not so long ago. So Moxley yeah, so, yeah. Kudos to him for that. Congratulations, Moxley. I'm gonna go and give you a shout out for that. But like, and then you got Kojima, who is, you know, was trained in that era of the dojo, being you know known for the the stiffness and Strong everything style, yeah. and, you know, dropping you on your, you know, your stack of dimes and everything like that, you know, like it, it, it I, whenever I saw that this match is booked, I'm like, somebody's getting their head knocked off. Like, <laughs> figuratively like, or literally. Literally. Like I was like, I was like, yeah, figuratively or literally. It, it, it either one would surprise me. I was expecting a lot of red chest. Like, like one thing I forgot to mention, like with Miro's chest, we saw when Eddie Kingston gave him those chops. Like I was expecting some redness from Moxie or Satoshi. <laughs> I was expecting redness in the face from them just punching the shit out of each other. Leathering each other, yeah. Um, and then you know you have with Moxley coming out on top. Um, I, I did mark. I marked a little bit for uh, Suzuki. Um, because while you know. These guys are stiff. Yeah, these guys are stiff. Minoru Suzuki could legitimately fuck up anybody on that roster with the exception yeah. of, of Jake Hager. You know, Suzuki, like, he's a legit fighter. Like, that's what people forget. People forget that. He is a legit MMA fighter as well as a professional wrestler. So, um, and, you know, him and Moxley have history. So, that was, you know, that was really cool to see him come out um, and him hit the gotch style new uh, gotch style pile driver on him on Mox, you know, 
it, it, it was that was a nice little nice little surprise early on. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought it was great. And the follow up match that they had that uh, Wednesday on Dynamite was equally stiff and ridiculous and absolutely bonkers. Uh, Ryan, your thoughts not just on this match itself. Obviously, we'll get that as well. But your thoughts as well on the Dynamite match as well between Moxley and Suzuki. I will say with both matches, yes, very, very stiff, but it was clear that the audience, they were def- it was de- definitely with audience being different factors here because the one with Suzuki in, in, on Dynamite was John Moxley's hometown, Cincinnati. So the crowd was going to be behind Moxley regardless. But it did, when I watched that match, obviously, it did look like they just, some of them weren't grasping the kind of wrestling they were doing. But in obviously with All Out in Chicago, those fans, which is a wrestling city, they understood exactly what they were doing. So when there were moments when Moxley and Satoshi were doing those constant like face-offs with clotheslines and with lariats, with chops, and the, one of them turnbuckles when Moxley tried to bite Satoshi and Satoshi returns the favor by biting him, those were moments the fans understood because they just, I mean, yeah, they understand that kind of wrestling. And yeah, I mean... Literally, I was surprised to see how. I mean, of course, as a wrestling fan, of course, with American wrestling, a clothesline or a lariat has never been really sold as much as a finishing move outside of JBL's clothesline from hell. So, when I see when I see wrestlers like Satoshi Kojima or um, Kazuchika Okada when they use lariats as a finisher, I'm going, how is that? Finishing, but then of course I learned the style of wrestling they went behind, and then of course the if a, if a, if the clothesline or layer is not done right, it literally can legit injure somebody. So yeah. understanding more makes much sense. But, but going past all that, I really did enjoy the match for what it was given to me, and I liked how it was right after Miro and Kingston because it was kind of like another build up. Some of the match placements on that card were all out, did throw me off, but. They were all in a good match. They were all in a good placement to get the crowd still excited. Outside maybe two matches, there weren't many matches to where you'd want to leave your seat and don't get some food or a drink or go to the bathroom. And yeah. this was definitely one of them, especially if you were waiting in line at a concession stand and then you heard Suzuki's music play. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. There were there were very few piss break matches in this entire card. I will say that much. Um, there is yeah, one that one fairly soon. All right, let us move on to the AEW Women's World Title Showdown. The champion, Dr. Britt Baker, say it with me, gentlemen, D versus the galaxy's greatest alien, Chris Statlander. Of course, Britt's got uh, Jamie Hayter and Rebel in her corner, and Chris has Orange Cassidy in his. And I think the biggest pop during this whole match, with the exception of the finish, was when Orange Cassidy... Literally broke out and just like, come on, Chris, let's go. Emotion, yeah, like that's that's the that's the most you've seen emotionally out of that guy, like ever. And as much as a great pop that was, I'm not saying it was negative towards that match, it played good in the storyline of the relationship between Cassidy and Statlander. So it was good because then you see when Cassidy cares about somebody in his group, like the best friend or so, you do, and when he starts showing more emotion. The time comes when a Cassidy starts cutting promo, emotional promos, people will lose their shit. I, I absolutely agree. But in any case, Britt Baker versus Chris Statlander, a lot again, great back and forth. 
Britt Baker, if she hasn't already achieved the rank of ring general, she is well on her way to getting there because this is the best match I've seen out of Chris Statlander in her entire AEW career. This was, I mean, again, it was a little slow at first, a little, a couple of hiccups here and there, but quickly got its rhythm back. Chris looked great in defeat here. Of course, I'm kind of spoiling the finish here. Eventually, you know, Britt just keeps working it over, trying to go for that lockjaw. Doesn't end up happening. Eventually hits the Panama Sunrise, which I wonder if that was a what hit they call it the Pittsburgh Sunrise. Yeah, the Pittsburgh Sunrise. Hits that, that Canadian Destroyer-esque move. Hits the curb stomp. Goes for the cover. Doesn't get the pin, but transitions immediately into that lockjaw. Your winner and still AEW Women's World Champion, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. And, man, what a match. Brenton, your thoughts overall on the match as a whole, your thoughts on the on Britt Baker herself kind of coming into this role as the face now truly with the title around her, her shoulder as the face of the AEW women's division, your thoughts on Chris Statlander's uh, maturing into her role in AEW, especially after coming off that injury for so long. What do you think? Um, yeah, that, like like you said at the beginning, there's you know, a couple of hiccups, you know, at the beginning of the match. Um, wasn't t- I, I wasn't too worried about that. Watching it, I, I kind of was like, okay, you know, they'll, they'll get through it, especially with Brett. Um, and I, I've said it from since day one. You know, they they were gonna make. Britt Baker, the the face of the women's division. Um, you know, I, I said it from the beginning, and I was right. Like it, it she is. Um, with the whole Panama Sunrise, it, you know, could have been a little hint. Um, you know, to something. Uh, but I just, I was just like, okay, she's in, she's engaged to the guy. You know that that just this is something you do, you know. Um, but yeah, I think it was definitely her. I mean, with her, like with Chris, like it was definitely yeah, Chris's best match to date. Um, um, I'd say I don't think Statlander is ready for the title just yet. Um. I do think they'll give it to her at some point. Um, but at the moment, I'll, I don't think she's ready for it. Um, I will say I did I did mark out a little bit when Orange Cassidy started showing some emotion. Yeah. I was yeah. like, yes! <laughs> um, the, only, the only thing I don't want, you know, I just... <sighs> Brit's submission maneuver, I... I the yeah. Yeah, I just, just not a fan, guys. I'm just not a fan of that move. Um, I, I understand, like, I get the because I mean, it, it's a gimmick move. Let's just be honest, it's a gimmick move. Um, so I get it, I get it, but I'm just not a huge fan because the submission itself is uncomfortable as shit anyway. Um, but adding, but you know, it makes sense to add in with the whole lockjaw part. But I can get past that. Um, I had fun watching that match. Um, 
I said Britt would go over. I will, you know. But other than that, um, solid match. Solid match. Uh, before we go to uh, Ryan, his thoughts on the match and everything, I would like to say that between myself and Ryan, I did win our predictions contest this time yes, around. He did. He did. So uh, Ryan will be forced to dress as the wrestler of my choosing on a day of my choosing. It'll probably be for the stream at some point. Um, and I have not 100% decided on who... But you know what? I think I think I have figured out who I think I want Ryan to dress as now that I think about it. I don't know. Brenton, what do you think of having uh, Ryan come on here uh, doing his best Coco Beware? Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Coco Beware? <laughs> I don't know. Man, that's a tough one. I mean, you you said Coco Beware. I'm thinking Kamala, man. <laughs> I, mean, I knew I wouldn't get the Godfather, so I wasn't gonna hold my breath on that. <laughs> uh, uh, Ron, I love you, buddy, but yeah, I love you to death, man. But you know, we, we got to have I'm, our own stuff too. Uh, you, 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 you got to make yourself laugh once in a while, you know. No, no, yeah. It's just I'm gonna need <laughs> so, to me out of those wrestlers. I'm gonna need to find old promos of these guys if I want to get that down. <laughs> I'll I mean, you, you want to talk about laughing at yourself, Brenton? I'll give you one. Uh, you and Ryan still owe a punishment from the last time I beat both of you guys in predictions, and that's the toe of Satan. Yes. Oh, yeah. I forgot about and that. And don't shit. forget my gentleman, <laughs> where you, where Brendan, where James, you and Brenton still have to sing a wrestling theme song. So. Yes, we still I'm do excited about that. As well. Yes, we do. We do still have that to look forward to. So I'm excited will... about that one. Apart yeah, from yeah. a little bit of spiciness into it and have you guys at least dressed in some the wrestler, but I, I honestly forgot the wrestler theme song I gave you guys. I want almost make you guys dress a little bit. Give give yourself a little bit of accessory of that yeah. wrestler. <laughs> I re I remember the one you gave me. You wanted me to do uh Stephen Regal's. He's a man, you know, such yeah. a man, a real man's man. That was that was the one you wanted for me. I don't know what you picked for Brenton. <sighs> I I know we did. We recorded this. I would I would need to find what I gave him because I I wrote it down. I, uh, I don't remember what you gave me. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Ryan, thoughts on uh, Britt Baker versus Chris Statlander? Well, I won't go too much into it because you guys pretty much gathered the basics, but you are right. This is this is Statlander's best match to date. And and honestly, looking at Statlander's career so far in AW, she's had, unfortunately, some hits and misses, uh, mainly just with whoever she's been paired up with. And it's and much of people want to throw criticism at it to the AW women's division, which I understand. But knowing Kenny and the Bucks, and Kenny especially, who was a big fan of Josie Wrestling, it was obvious at the start of, during the first year they wanted it to be a heavy focus of Joshi wrestlers and international talent they wanted to bring in. So Statlander, who did sign during that first year, looked like she was going to have at least some great opponents to go up against out of Riho, Emi Sakura, Main Shiragawa, uh, Hikaru Shida, even internationally with Shana when they brought in. And before Bree Priestley went to NXT UK during the short time she was there, but you know the pandemic hit, and then Statlander got injured, so she had pretty much some bad luck. And I do admit, because of the size that she is, there really was hard finding a wrestler that can at least work well with her. Because that mini feud she had with Penelope Ford, it really wasn't to both of their standards, unfortunately. But Britt. Yeah, it's been obvious since day one she was going to be the face of that division. And after when she got hurt, it looked like, just like Stadlander, she was going to be on the shelf for a while. But Britt, 
the genius that she is, she used it to get her even over with her conspiracies. And then taking Rebel, a character who was meant to be kind of like this mini, this un, like this um, untreat, this un, uh, this this stooge that's being treated badly, turned her into pretty much a literal stooge. Like a Brandy Cutler is for the Bucks. <laughs> yeah. But beyond that, this was a great match. Um, I did enjoy some spots that came out there with Britt having to use her cunning in order to keep Statlander down, especially that new submission move that Statlander had debuted on Rampage the, the following night, seeing her get out of that move from two separate occasions. And, of course, yeah, Orange Cassidy really, like, if you weren't, if you weren't paying attention, or at least on the second time you watched that match, there are small moments where Cassidy goes from just standing on the outside, then you see him take his hands out of his pocket slightly, or at least get more close to the ring, and then you start seeing him hit that ring with excitement. And the first time he did pop up a little bit was when the ref was being distracted and Cassidy was trying to shout to the ref. He was like, come on, what are you doing? And then when you got that moment where the camera was on him to where he just takes those glasses off and yells for motivation at Chris Statlander. Like, that is good slow burden character work with Cassidy, I will admit. I just hate it. I kind of got, got a little bit of a Denzel Washington Remember the Titans vibes from that, just a little bit, <laughs> just the hair. But in any case, let us move forward now to personally what I think is going to be a lot of people's match of the night, mine yeah. included, the AEW World Tag Team titles up for grabs in a steel cage match, the Young Bucks versus the Lucha Brothers. Um, I mean, fuck, what else can we say about this freaking match, man? Like, this was 50 shades of bonkers and then some. And knowing what these guys had put themselves through in that Escalera de No Muerta match back in the the early, the first year of AEW, you knew they were going to bring it with this one. I mean, the Lucha Bros got the custom entrance, which I automatically thought, well, they're losing, you know, and because that's so what I've been so conditioned to think based on, you know, where I've been most exposed to up to this point. But then I got to remember, oh, yeah, these guys don't work that way. And um, they do that a lot with some of their wrestlers, and those wrestlers were the ones that got over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. But, I mean, I, there, there's way too much shit in terms of spots and everything to cover in here. I mean, we've got package pile drivers on the ring apron. We've got a double submission through the ropes right in front of the cage. Um, you've got uh, freaking indie takers mixed with, like, senton splashes and all other kind of just ridiculous flips and high-flying and nonsense and eventually the brothers as well like nick and yeah Nick had their own moment to show off and then the same with matt and penta had their moment to show off yeah they absolutely did there was a nice exchange everybody got a chance to get their shit in uh eventually uh matt jackson kicks both lucha bros right in the bro nuts uh to quote zach Ryder. anyway uh calls for brandon cutler the good old stooge Cutler throws a bag over the cage into the ring. Matt reaches in, pulls out the thumbtack shoe. Oh. And immediately, my mind went back to PWG, the Young Bucks versus Candice Lorraine. Candice! Candice! Oh, yes. <laughs> God, love Candice Lorraine to death. Um, but yeah, like, and then ripping at the mask, Penta taking the bullet for Phoenix at one point. You know, eventually, Glitch yeah. Rose fighting back, using the thumbtack shoe against them. Phoenix with that massive diving crossbody off the top of the cage. And a, a lot of people are like, oh, it's a big deal. It's a cage spot. We've seen it a dozen times. This cage is way bigger than WWE's cage. It is way taller. 
It yeah. goes not it doesn't stop at the ring apron. It goes to the floor to where they've got I some room. That, that, that thing is a little taller than the one Cody had when he went against Wardlow. Yes. Like inches taller, honestly. Yes. And then eventually the uh, Lucha Brothers hit their uh, tag team finisher for the win and new AEW World Tag Team Champions and well-deserved Los Lucha Brothers, or should I say Los Hermanos de Lucha. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, well-deserved. Uh, you know, I've talked for a long time about how I respect uh, the Lucha Bros and what they're able to do. I respect both tag teams who are in this match. Do, willing to do ridiculous shit for their bodies for the sake of entertainment and for the sake of making sure we had a great time. Uh, I didn't think they would pull the trigger on taking the titles off the Bucks here. I thought for sure they would wait uh, for the Dark Order to get there, to get their shine on, to make to make that thing happen, and especially when Hangman does end up coming back to take the title from Kenny Omega, which is clearly the way that that needs to go. Um, I thought for sure the Dark Order would have done that along the same time. Uh, but, you know, uh, color me surprised, great match, great results, uh, really cool to see uh, the Lucha Brothers, uh, Penta hugging his uh, daughter at ringside and everything, oh, just bringing the whole family over, that was a great moment. His and his wife, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was fantastic, uh, so I, I got a kick out of it, like I said, my match of the night, Brian, your thoughts? Uh, I'm just going to bring all my feelings down to three points. Uh, one, the... I will say, uh, when, when it comes to the Bucks and the Lucha Bros, everyone, all, most non-general fans, most general wrestling fans who are not familiar with most of their wrestling that they've done in AAA to maybe a couple of indie shows, they've only seen, like, oh, like, the concept of the Bucks. They're spot-heavy wrestlers. Looking at this cage match, this was the most restricted and handicapped both teams were. Like, when you it's saw like them... Go there and yell. Yeah. So when you saw them go like crazy on moments using package pile drivers on the apron, doing her karanas off the off of the like off of the ropes, like when uh Pen when they did when I think Penta did that reverse po that poison rana from when Nick was standing on top of the ropes to even Phoenix going to think he's gonna do a poison rana off of Matt, but then kicks him in the face and then jumps on the Nick on the turnbuckle and does a, a does a does a Frankensteiner. Those spots itself, including that jump off the cage, because well, before Phoenix did that, Matt Nick was gonna climb up and get him. Penta uh, Phoenix does his run off the ropes, kicks him in the face, and then does that jump spot. So most of this stuff had a story moment to build to it, and I enjoyed that part of the cage match. It made it a very entertaining cage match. Now my second point, I do agree. I actually thought the Bucks was going to retain, but I was back and forth on it because I thought the storyline they were doing with Pac and with Death Triangle and Andrade El Idolo. But I like the fact that the, the Lucha Bros won. I personally, as much as I love long title reigns, to me, it's got to be like the moment you have a storyline that's really white hot. Sometimes you need to pull the trigger on the challenger or you keep the champion involved as long as you find a way to protect both uh, both players so nobody comes out looking weak, something that WWE does too many times. They protect one person, but then the storyline they build making, this, uh, making the challenger a worthy competitor falls apart once they're no longer in the chase for the belt. That's one thing I respect with AEW. Even when someone loses for the belt, they still can fight other wrestlers and still come out looking strong. Yeah, 100% agree. 
And my, uh, final, my final point, just my final point. Um, I do love the role the Bucks played here because the moment they turned heel, they couldn't go. They couldn't go back and forth. They had to fully commit, just like Kenny Omega did. They had to make you hate them so much. So, but so whoever challenged them, you wanted to see them win, and you could not tell that even more. I mean, it was there when Hangman and the Dark Order did that elimination match against the Elite. But it was definitely here as well with the Bucks, especially on Dynamite when they closed out of them beating the Christian, the Lucha Bros, and Jurassic Express in that cage. They wanted to get the Chicago crowd white hot for the Lucha Bros. So when that pin, when that trigger happened, we would get that pop that we got. So great yeah. psychology, great storytelling, and great character work. Yeah, I will agree. Absolutely. Uh, like I said, then um, there's no way to say it isn't well deserved because it absolutely is. Uh, Brandon, your thoughts? Um, you know, honestly, it's one of those things. Like, it, it, it personally, it was not my favorite match of the night, but there's no denying it was the match of the night. Um, just, I mean, er, you know, and agreeing with everything that Ryan just said, like. Then there was just so much emotion in this match. Because, um, and I pointed out, you got two brothers versus two brothers. I mean, you don't really see that that often when it comes to tag team matches. Um, that, and, you know, with it being inside of the ca a cage, with them, with all four of their styles, you know, being the high flying style that they have, it, you know, a cage match doesn't seem like something that they would do you know and they were able to pull off and make it the match of the night um and i will say that i was very i was i was shocked that they took the belt uh, the belts off the bucks um but it you know much deserved to the lucha bros i mean they've worked their asses off um i knew they would get it at some point um, I didn't think it would be at you know that night, but um, AEW proved me wrong, and honestly, I'm kind of glad they proved me wrong. Um, and it, it was really cool to see uh, Penta kind of break out of character there, just uh, you know, at, yeah. just so just just a little bit after the match, um, and you know, celebrate with his wife and his daughter. Um, I just thought that was really cool. Yeah. All right. Well, time will tell what uh, the future holds for the new AEW World Tag Team Champions, the Lucha Brothers, of course, Penta, Phoenix. Best of luck to you, whatever you've got going on next. Uh, we will be watching the program, and we will be following your tag team title reign very, very closely. All right. Next up, we have the Casino Battle Royal for an opportunity at the AEW Women's World Championship. Um, this was, I mean, here's the thing. The problem with a match like this is it tends to get very formulaic very quick. Yeah. Um, and I, I do appreciate that at least it, for a little while, it looked like AEW was interested in at least changing things up every once in a while, changing it from say a battle Royal to a ladder match here and there. Um, but again, it's, it, it's very difficult to, as often as they like to use this trope and as often as they like to use this concept, it's getting a little a little tired a little quick. 
I will say that. Like, don't get me wrong, I still enjoyed the match. I still thought we got some great work by all the women involved. Uh, the, the Joker entrant was well worth the wait. Uh, and the result, I thought, was a very, very surprising one. But overall, to me, this match itself, just this, it's not the match itself. It's not, it, let me be clear. It doesn't have anything to do with the participants in the match at all, regardless of when it comes up. It all boils down to just the match concept and the match format that they've created has started to get a little stale. All right, that's that's just You're my two cents. You're not wrong. Oh, go ahead. Brian. Yeah, yeah. I was to say like it's the same thing with the Andre the Giant Battle Royal. Yeah, it, it's uh, the same thing. Like, yeah. The, the, I think the thing with both of these concepts, with the battle royals, like either the casino for the women's and the men's, and even comparing it to the Andre the Giant, whoever wins that, I mean, normally with the turn, I mean, unfortunately with wrestling here in America, whenever somebody wins a battle royal or wins something like the Royal Rumble, there's expectations of what the company is going to do with that wrestler. Now, AEW, they're they're still starting off fresh, so we understand that so far. The battle, the battle royals have not achieved its purpose, especially when they did the dynamite, duh, the dynamite ring, like that. Well, that was a tournament. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, it was a battle royal at first, and then it, it evolved it, it, into it, a match. Yeah, which I like that little change there. They're at least putting a change, but with the dynamite ring, though, they, there still needs to be something to make it memorable. Now, I don't know what it is, but that's for another time. This battle royal. I think one thing, if we had to talk about the needs of change, is maybe the, 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 the thing of the Joker card. Because the first time, during the first Battle Royal, it was uh, it was Hangman who was the Joker card. I think the Joker card should be something that needs to, kind of like the Royal Rumble, it should be kind of like Spot 30. You know, that way, whoever the wrestler is that got the Joker card, you can put expectations on them if they're going to win or not. That way you can put give them TV time to do promos. You know, kind of like what they were doing earlier when Darby had the TNT Championship. Any wrestler who challenged him, they put promos on them. I still love the promo 10 of the Dark Order did when he was challenging Darby Allen and how they're putting so much emphasis on how much he had grown in the ring and how much of a, of, of a leader that Brody and a, and a role model Brody Lee was to him. I like that. If they did yeah. something like that with the Joker card, instead of it being a surprise, I think it would work to an advantage to making the casino battle or something memorable. Maybe shake it up every now and then, you know? Well, like I said, it, it's not so much that the, the match participants had anything wrong with it. Again, it's just the match concept itself has become very formulaic, but we're not going to run through everything like elimination by elimination, anything like that. We oh, don't no. have the time for that. And we'll be here all damn night. Uh, the clubs, uh, the, yeah, the clubs are out first. You've got, he cut a sheet of sky blue local girl. Very got a good pop. Yeah. Yeah, uh, she took over the slot that was originally Julia Hart's, and right. uh, it was given. It, it happened during dark because I they did this. Yeah, during, no, I remember during, that. during the buy-in. They did this whole thing where Julia Hart of the Varsity Blondes had it. She gets injured by uh, Nyla Rose and Jade Cargill, which it kind of she kind of got herself. She got her leg hurt during a dark match a couple di like the day before the Battle Royal. She hurt her leg and they had to like ride her off because didn't look like she'd be ready to participate. So then they get to Sky Blue. Right. So in any case, uh, like I said, Hikaru Shida, Sky Blue, Emi Sakura, The Bunny, and Abaddon. Uh, moving on from that, we then have the Diamonds in next. Anna Jay, Kira Hogan, Kylan King, Diamante, and Nyla Rose. Then we had the Hearts, Thunder Rosa, Penelope Ford, Riho, Jamie Hayter, Big Swole. Then we had the Spades, Ty Conti, Red Velvet, Layla Hirsch, Jade Cargill, Rebel, and of course the Joker. 
the debuting, formerly known as Ruby Riot, the now Ruby Soho, coming out to an awesome rancid song I thought was great. Just had a great, like you could tell by the look on her face, she was just ecstatic to be there. Again, we had a lot of good moments, a lot of good um, shows of strength by some of the uh, the host level kind of ladies there, women like Nyla Rose, women like Jade Cargill, uh, some nice upstart moments with uh, individuals like Ty Conti, with, uh, you know, Layla Hirsch and a few of the others. But in the end, we come down to three. It is Thunder Rosa, uh, Nyla Rose, and Ruby Soho. Nyla gets drop kicked off the apron by Thunder Rosa. And at this point, either of these ladies going over would have been great. I had no issue with the, with this final two. I had no issue with what they were going to do here. Uh, personally, I picked Anna Jay to win because I figured, you know, she would have been a good choice to make. Uh, but again, Thunder Rosa has been very popular ever since she came into AEW from the NWA. And now again, with the debuting Ruby Soho, really wanted to give her some shine, which was great. Uh, in the end though, uh, Ruby does hit her former, what is, I, I guess they're going to have to rename it, what it was once called the riot kick in order to uh, eliminate Thunder Rosa. And now Ruby Soho has a guaranteed shot at Dr. Britt Baker for that AEW Women's World Championship somewhere down the line. Brenton, let us start with you. Your thoughts on the Women's Casino Battle Royal. Um, like you said, you know, it's just, it was, it's one of those things, it's just kind of, it's just a battle. I don't want to say it's just a battle royal, but that's, it's, that is what it is. Um, you know, my pick honestly was Thunder Rosa um, to win it just because she's been on fire for months now. Um, when it came to the when it came to the Joker card, I I was like, I had no idea who it could be. Like I like talking to the my buddy that I was watching it with. He, I mean, we we were trying to figure out like we were kind of shooting out ideas, and neither one of us could shoot out an idea. Um, so seeing you know Ruby Soho, that was awesome. I I, I, I won't lie, you know I, I marked. I was like, oh man, this is awesome because the potential and the talent that she has that was wasted and yeah. the other company is criminal. I mean, we and, don't, we don't afraid of you. We can say it. And we, like the, they absolutely dropped the ball with her in the WWE. Yeah. You know, and I, well, I just don't like, I just don't like wasting my breath saying those three letters. Yeah. Um, you know, they screwed that whole, uh, they screwed her up over there. And it, you know, and it, the smile on her face, it, it looked like she was just happy to be there. She was having so much fun, yeah. you know, and I'm super excited to see what, you know, what they're going to do with her. And, you know, it, it honestly won't surprise me if they give her the belt. It, it, it honestly wouldn't shock me. I mean, it's a possibility. Personally, like I said, I don't know that it'll happen right away. I feel like there's a lot more that Britt Baker has to do, you know, with being that figurehead of the women's division. But I, I can definitely see it happening. I'll tell you this. The other cool thing that happened with her is guess who they flew out to kind of meet with her backstage and hang out with her before she went out? Sarah uh, Logan. I was going to say Sarah. Yeah. And but just to be able to see one of her long lost friends especially bringing a beautiful baby into the backstage area. It just, I could see the smile on her face when she was talking about it in the, the little video that they put out after the show. And 
you know, nothing but love to Ruby Soho. We can't wait to see what you do here in AEW. Ryan, quickly to you, what were your thoughts on this match? Well, I kind of had Ty Conti to win this one because I have been deaf. I have truly been following her growth in AEW since she showed up, got signed, became part of this little angle of this uh, friendship that was brewing between her and Anna Jay. Seeing how she, I mean, she she was rough starting off, you know, trying to transition from what she learned from NXT and trying to adapt it here. And then seeing how she was really able to really make herself more of a striker and, uh, and, 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 and include her judo trained background into, into wrestling. And it made her really stand out to me. Like she was a real, truly different kind of flavor in the women's division that I truly thought that, yes, they can, it didn't matter this year or next year, but I could truly see her with that women's belt. So I thought maybe this time they'll pull the trigger with her, have her win, and then maybe she'll challenge after full gear or maybe next year for revolution, depending on when they would stretch that out just to give her more time because I, it was just for me, like she's just so infectious. I love, I love the energy she brings towards the ring and Honestly, um, I don't know. I, I was just so fixated with her. and uh, But when she got eliminated, I'm like, okay, it's not happening right now. I love what they're doing with her and Anna Jay right at this moment. I love those two together. Maybe they'll be the first women's tag team champions in AEW. Maybe. No. But outside of that, there were some really na – not nasty, but there was really some um, unfortunate mishaps that happened here. Um, one thing that popped up to me was during the match – uh, when Riho was in, she and Jamie Hayter were straggling, struggling with each other on the corner. And then she rolled out underneath the ring and then gets knocked off. And apparently they called they caught that as an elimination, which was a big mishap because before the camera changed, Jamie's of course Jamie Hayter was doing the whole like bye-bye, but when you heard Justin Roberts say she was eliminated. I quickly saw before they changed the camera, Jamie was like, No, no, she was not eliminated, meaning that that was a fuck up. That was a fuck up that happened because everyone that got eliminated was over the top rope and real, unfortunately. So it led to a lot of thoughts in my mind. Did she accidentally get herself hurt a little bit or the referees did kind of fuck up and it's called that elimination. They just didn't have her eyes on her. And then second, I don't know, I don't know if anyone was hearing this. Uh, when I rewatched this, I was hearing some no, we don't chance and then I rewound it. And I'm hearing we want Tessa. No, we don't. I'm like, yeah. What? Oh, fuck. When did that happen? Because I did not notice that the first time. <laughs> Tessa Blanchard's got a lot of heat on her right now. like, And it's, again, it stems from what a lot of people believe to be unprofessional conduct in the way that she handled the whole Impact World Champion situation and this and that. Like, from what I understand, there's a ton of heat for her, both in AEW as well as WWE, to where she's going to have a hard time getting signed by either of those places. We know Impact's not going to take her back, so unless... She's looking to go to AAA or maybe in the NWA, and even maybe then they won't even take her there. So I don't know. She's probably going to work maybe some small shows because it, even though despite the nuclear heat she had, there were some fans in Chicago that was expecting her to be the Joker from hearing those chants. But even though the no, we don't chant much louder, it's clear to me that as much as Tessa's heat, there she does have fans out there that want to see her in the ring. I guess personally to me, I think. Tessa's just got to wait a little longer for that to have to blow over, but yeah, she's got she's got a lot of making up to do before she can go anywhere. Yeah, I mean, despite those chances, though, 
this was one of those matches in the in the all-out pay-per-view to where you kind of can't take a break because of the because of the length it was. No disrespect to the women, it was just the format itself. Like the way the eliminations happened and the way they were the way some of the pair some of the pairings in the uh, cards it kind of threw off the flow of the match for me, honestly. Yeah, just a tad, yeah. But overall, like I said, great, uh, fun match, you know, the usual shtick. But, you know, um, again, I don't think with the final two you could have picked a, a bad winner between the two of them. Like, there was there was no bad choices there. Uh, Ruby gets some shine to get herself started and, uh, you know, well-deserved and welcome to AEW. All right. Next up, we move to the final fight, Chris Jericho versus MJF. If Chris Jericho loses, he must retire. Uh, first of all, MJF with a nice, nice heat magnet at the start of this with a Millennium Countdown, harkening back to Y2J, and then you see the Jericho show up on the thing, but it says Jericho's last match, oh which again, God. gets in nuclear level heat if he wasn't already the biggest heat magnet that AEW has. He definitely became the biggest heat magnet AEW has after Dynamite this week, but we'll get more into that later. Um, but yeah, so MJF comes out, Jericho comes out with the guitarist from Fozzie, playing you know the the guitar riff to Judas, but unfortunately, without the percussion there, without the steady beat to keep the audience on pace, the yeah. sing along kind of got a little mismatched. So I don't think it came off nearly as epic as they wanted it to like the, the straight acapella version that they did for the fifth labor of Jericho was better than this. It was. And th that was a sad part because I can understand the guitar. He was just playing like how he normally plays during a concert. But I think, yeah, you need a percussionist or you needed somebody who was just a little more expertly well tuned to the rhythm and the melody of the song. So when you heard those little, because he was going very fast, like he was shredding, just yeah. trying to get Jericho out there. And it, it's like, unless you really know that song back and forth, I would not have imagined anybody in the crowd, like the whole audience, the whole United Center being within unison. Right. Well, that's the thing is the whole crowd is hearing things at a different level because the ones that are closest to him are hearing it first, and then the further away they get from him, the fur the, the further diluted the sound becomes. So. It, 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 it was a no-win situation, unfortunately. But in any case, so match, of course, big, physical, uh, a lot of great heel work from MJF with the, you know, the thrusting and the strutting and the just peacocking and strutting around the ring. Just, again, just lay, laying it in on Jericho. Like, this is going to be your last match, buddy. The Heat Seeker on the apron looked nasty as fuck. Um... You know, eventually things get a little bit ridiculous. Wardlow ends up making an appearance, but is quickly cut off by Jake Hager, which allows MJF to pick up Floyd the back, knocks Jericho in the head with it, hits a Judas effect, covers Jericho, one, two, three, but Jericho's foot's on the rope, but Aubrey Edwards doesn't notice. And uh, immediately the entire crowd is just like, bullshit, and just, just laying this stuff down. But eventually, the ref, uh, another referee, I believe it was Paul Turner, comes up, lets Aubrey know what happened. No, he got his foot on the rope. It was there during the three count. You didn't see it. You were out of position. Match is restarted. MJF eventually tries to go for that salt of the earth armbar. Jericho manages to work out of it, transitions into the walls, and makes that little dick weasel MJF tap out. 
your winner and still wrestling in AEW, the one and only Ayatollah of rock and roll, the demo god himself, Le Champion, Chris Jericho. Ryan, I'll start off with you. Your thoughts on this match? Uh, yeah, uh, I will admit, going off of that, so much heat, so much heat that MJ have had going in there. Like it was more obvious if you've never seen someone the uh, the the crowd wanted to see lose more than MJF. You're you're shit out of luck of finding that person. And I'll be honest, I actually was going for MJF to win this one because I thought what I mean. I went with Jericho, obviously, but a part of me was like, what if they actually do that switch? Have MJF be undefeated over Jericho? Not only would MJF say he's won three times, but he is undefeated against Jericho, and he retired him. That would put him on such a level of heel heat that even the most diehard of wrestling mark would still boo him. That's what I thought of MJF winning. But they did a good job here. Showing Jericho's the desperation on how badly he wanted to beat Jericho, but not too much where he wanted to cheat, but really wanted to get that one upmanship on him. So when he did use that submission on MJF, you did see that in Jericho's eyes, he didn't want just to use the juice effect for the pin. He wanted MJF to scream. He wanted him to suffer to where MJF had no point but to tap. And then I love that part where his foot was on the rope and Aubrey counted three. And you can see on her face when she was raising his hand, she's like, I did not want to fucking do this. Just get the hell out of here. And so it didn't look like she fucked up. It was just more of MJF's body position was covering it to where she just had to swallow that bitter pill. And then that other ref comes in looking like a hero. So I like the story in this match. It Great pop moments for this crowd. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Brenton, thoughts? Um... I honestly, I, going into the match, I did my pick was Jericho. I did not see him retiring just yet. Um, yeah. Um, and you know, with the original, what you thought was the finish with MJF getting the pinfall, even with Jericho's foot on the rope, you know, I was like, okay, they're going that route. All right, whatever, you know. Good. I was like, okay, if they're going that route, that, that's a good, that's, you know, major, major heat added on to the fact that MJF would have retired Jericho. But with them coming in with the, you know, with the ref come, the other ref coming in saying, you know, no, Jericho had his foot on the rope. We ain't doing it this way, you know. Um, restart the match. Um, at that point, I was like, "Okay, Jericho's winning this now." Now, now it's it's kind of like, "Okay, Jericho's going to win this." Um, but all in all, it was a fun match. Um, great storytelling. I mean, those two guys together, the chemistry they have is unreal. It, it's it's unreal, just to be honest yeah. with y'all. You know, um, but um, like I said, fun match. Um, good storytelling. Um, I gave it, it, it was one of my favorite matches of the night. Not yeah, my favorite. Was, we're getting there, but. Oh yeah. Now, I, I got a feeling we're getting ready to talk about your, your overall favorite of the night. But, yeah. um, yeah, in all likelihood, like I said, you're right. These guys have a phenomenal amount of chemistry together. Just so much. MJF is already so good at what he does that, Bar none, when he, 
like mark my words, he will be AEW world champion one day. And when he is, the crowd is going to toss trash in that ring just about as hard as anybody did when the NWO first formed. Mark my words on that. Uh, and especially after what he pulled this past Wednesday on Dynamite. Again, Brendan, I know you didn't really have an opportunity to watch. They were in Cincinnati, Ohio. The home. I got the gist of what happened. I kind of got the gist of what happened. The home of Brian Hillman, one of the most respected wrestlers in the history of this company for a short of an amount of time as he spent in the business. You know, just a phenomenal talent, gone way too soon. Um, but MJF's in the ring. He's running down the city, but then he sees Linda Pillman and uh, Brian Pillman's sister, or no, Brian Pillman's daughter. I'm sorry, his daughter, uh, kind of there in the audience. And he goes over and he starts, you know, ripping on them and this and that. Out comes Brian Pillman Jr., who again I think has a ton of upside and has a, a very very bright future in this business. Uh, you know, and. Uh, Brian Pillman Jr. comes out, runs down MJF, says, you know, when you're in Cincinnati, home of guy, real badasses like my father, Brian Pillman, like John Moxley. Welcome to the jungle, asshole, basically. And then MJF has the balls to call Brian Pillman's mother, Melanie, Methany, because of her history with drugs, which immediately, you know, Pillman hits the ring, you know, MJF begs off, sorry, hey, sorry, slip of the tongue, my bad. But then he also says, you know, she could have pumped out about 10 or 15 other, you know, second generation superstars. But unfortunately with you, she forgot to do what she did with the others and that's swallow. And man, you want to talk about getting some heat. And again, like, and then this, this is the one that really got it. And eventually, uh, you know, Wardlow's backing up Pillman Jr. Just trying to keep him from getting his hands on MJF and then MJF, you know, being a smart aleck that he is, he says, hey, Wardlow, I'm sorry, are you trying to protect me the same way you did on Sunday? Why don't you do me a favor? Stand in the corner and look pretty. Oof. And then, yeah. yeah, then he gets in, and then MJF gets directly in Pillman's face, and he says, I'm going to do to you what your mother should have done about 28 years ago, and that's abort, and doesn't even get the full sentence out. Brian Pillman double legs him, just hits him with the ground and pound before Wardlow eventually tosses him off. Griff Garrison comes out for the save, but he gets laid out. And now there's a program brewing between Brian Pillman Jr. and MJF so he can get his heat back. So, uh, yeah, like I said, if he wasn't a heat magnet after what he did at the pay-per-view, he damn sure is one now. All right. Yeah. Go for it. Go. You got some? I, 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 uh, I, I just don't have any words for it. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Like. Like, what else can you say to something like that? They had to get some serious, serious OKs. Yeah. Not just from Tony Khan, but from TNT and, like, a whole bunch of other people up the ladder for MJF to get Oh, and I mean, well, the Pillman family, and you know, for the main yeah. part. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, because that's some All serious right. fire we're playing with. Oh, yeah, there, there were a couple times I was grabbing my chest like, oh, Lord, uh, I was not prepared for this level of, whew, this level of debauchery. Oh, I found myself, I, I was, I had to compose myself a couple of times watching that. Uh, but in any way, uh, let's go ahead and get into the match that everybody was talking about as soon as it was announced. The return oh, of 
seven plus years of the best in the world. You damn fucking rot. Versus Darby Allen. This, again, and I think a lot of people in certain respects might have been expecting something a little bit different. This, to me, was exactly what I thought I needed it to be. Now, before we get into the match, uh, Ryan and I both talked ad nauseum about how we felt and how the return after so long of CM Punk affected us. But one gentleman we were not able to hear from was Brenton himself. So, Brenton, take us back. Cast your mind back, if you will, a couple of weeks to August 21st. Uh, I'm sorry, August 20th, I think, 2021, just a number of weeks ago. What was your reaction to the return of Charles Montgomery Punk? So for the viewers out there that don't know and haven't heard me talk about it on every fucking podcast that I've been a part of, CM Punk is, without a doubt, my favorite wrestler of all time. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, Watching it, I told a friend of mine who I was watching it with, I said, it's one of those things, I know they've confirmed it, I will believe it when I see it. Because it's just, I was like, it's too good to be true. And when Colts of Personality hit and I saw him walk out, I fell on the floor in tears. Like, I was, that is the most excited I've been about wrestling, and I couldn't tell you how long. Um, to see him in a ring, it, I, like, I was like, wrestling is fun. I was like, I mean, wrestling was fun already, but now it's just even more fun because my favorite wrestler's back doing, you know, what he honestly loved to do. But a certain company, I'm not wasting my breath on those three stupid ass letters, you know, took from him what they took from him. And that was his love for the business. And I love how he said that he left wrestling in 2005 when he left Ring of Honor. Um, What a shot to the nuts to Vincent Kennedy McMahon. And much well-deserved shot to the nuts. See, here's the thing, though. I don't think Vince cares that he took that shot because, as far as Vince concerned is concerned, they're not a wrestling company. They're sports entertainment. They, wrestling is not the draw. It never has been, as far as he's concerned. Well, keep again, my, well, that true. But Vince is also a senile old man who needs to be in a nursing home. Now, oh yeah, like at least ten years ago. Put like seriously, have him committed already. Like, but. Uh, what well, th- that is the most happy I've been about anything in wrestling in a long time. Yeah, I don't know how else to put it into words. It it, it was the greatest. It, it, and when like Stone Cold said it best, he he said a couple years ago, if CM Punk was to ever come back to wrestling, because at the time on decimal levels, the biggest pop was Stone Cold coming out to help mankind win the WWF title. Yep. Um, he said if Punk ever came back, that would break it. I believe that. And I believe by it. fucking God, was he correct? Yep. 
Yep. And so, you know, CM Punk, if you somehow hear this, I am just ecstatic to see you back in a wrestling ring and August 20th, 2021 will forever be burned in my memory as one of the greatest days, if not the greatest day in professional wrestling. In my opinion. Well, if you don't, uh, if you do enjoy seeing CM Punk in a wrestling ring, uh, whether it's on AEW television or not, uh, there's another way to catch him somewhat in a wrestling ring. You can catch him on Stars Heels, starring Stephen Amell. You can catch that. Uh, go check your local listings for times. Uh, they don't pay me to tell you that, but sure as hell wish they would. In any case, let's move into the match itself. I do believe firmly that Darby Allen was the right person to give CM Punk his first match back in seven and a half years. There, were, uh, I think a lot of people were expecting Punk to go a little bit harder than he did. I think he played it the exact right way. He didn't go too crazy. He didn't start doing a bunch of dives, a bunch of top rope nonsense. He stuck to the ground. He stuck to the to what he knew, the technician, the, the actual ground and pound, the, the holds, and the control that he could exert in that match. And I thought that was great. Again, was he a little clunky in places? Sure. Ring rust is a hell of a thing. But overall, this was a great match. I love when Darby went for the coffin drop. He just sits clean up like the Undertaker. It's like, please, you thought that was going to hit me, but then gets caught with the crucifix. Great, great uh, psychology. Great interaction there. You know, uh, I love the the GTS that sent Darby Allen out of the ring. And he's like, ah, well, fine. Give him the count out. I'll take it. Whatever. I don't care. Um and then eventually the counter out of whatever Darby was attempting into the GTS for the victory. Your winner after seven and a half years back in his hometown of Chicago, CM Punk. And man, does it feel good to say that. It really, really does. Uh, Brenton, your thoughts on the match overall? Um, honestly, just because I'm biased, my favorite match of the night. Um, <laughs> yeah. Shut up. I'm not in agreement. I'm like, I mean, you know, I know, yeah, I know, I know what you meant. I'm just saying, in a theoretical situation, if Kylie Ray ever came back to AW and she became women's champion, I'd be saying it'd be my favorite match of the night. <laughs> like, I mean, it, it was just, in all honesty, because Darby Allen is the new age Jeff Hardy. To me, he and so I kind of got, you know, just seeing like for the first and for not wrestling for seven years, Punk. I mean, yeah, there was a few hiccups here and there, but like, yeah, ring rust. Seven years of ring rust, that, that you know, and only having a you know a hiccup here and there, not bad. Like, I mean, and it was a you know, you know. Great match all around. Um, yeah, Darby was the perfect opponent to put with Punk. Um, and Darby Allen, I am extremely jealous of you. Um, happy for you in the in the you know as well, but extremely jealous that you got to to do something that I would love to do, and that's to wrestle CM Punk. Um, and my friend looked at uh, the guy, my buddy that I was watching with, looked at me, and he said, "What?" Would, he's like, "What would you do if they let Darby win?" I was like, "Well, first off, Tony Khan's going to get killed 
<laughs> yeah, he would. He'd make it out of Chicago. Um, and two, I would just stop watching wrestling altogether. Um, there you go. But I knew that wasn't going to happen because nobody's that stupid. Yeah, I mean, first match in seven and a half years, there was no way he wasn't going over. Like, that, let's be honest. So, um, Ryan, your thoughts on the match overall? I do want to share both of your opinions that, yeah, Darby Allen was definitely the uh, perfect opponent to go up against CM Punk. Darby, through no, I mean, well, I, through much assistance with Cody Rhodes, has become the, like, second, I, I, honestly, push aside the elite, push aside Cody, push aside with CM Punk back. Darby Allen, out, as far as natural, homegrown talent in AEW, is the top talent. He is. And so he was the perfect guy. AEW's own natural homegrown talent versus a returning legend amongst the fans, a returning wrestler that everyone wanted to see back. And I do share with you guys' opinions. Yes, seven years away. But let's also not forget, during the time away, he was also trained to become an MMA fighter. So given that you take those seven years of wrestling out the way, then maybe those two to three years of him training MMA – the wrestling style he used, the ground and pound, made a lot of sense because he's implementing some of the stuff he learned from MMA as the veteran of this match in order to keep Darby Allen on the ground. And also, as the veteran, through the storytelling, you're also seeing that he's well aware that when Darby Allen starts to get busy, he starts to get that energy going, he's going to be hard to, to counteract. He's going to be hard to stop. So Punk doing those technician holes, do, making sure that Darby, his back was too hurt for him to do some insane dives or to use that coffin drop. It was smart for him to play. And drawing back, yeah, when he did that first go to sleep and Darby rolls out, that's also a veteran mind scheme. Of, and it, that's also a storytelling moment where Punk's like, no, I'm back home. I'm not going to risk getting counted out just so I can keep up with this young guy. Let him get that count out. Let Darby Allen use his own power to get back in the ring so he so then I can finish him off. And then him finish and then beating him and then after the match, seeing Sting come down to the ring, have that little face-to-face -face with Punk, showing each other respect, and then bringing up Darby Allen with respect. Great way to keep the fans happy, but also you still protect Darby Allen, you make him look strong, and you remind everybody why Darby Allen is Darby Allen. AEW did with this match so much better than what WWE just did at SummerSlam with Becky and Bianca. And I'm not going to get yeah. too much of my thoughts on that match, okay? I already have my feelings. I'm going to let that go to rest. But it was great storytelling, a great way for Punk to get back in the ring to show you guys Look, how, this is how he is seven years off, and he was still able to keep up with Darby. Now, let's see what he's going to do when he starts getting back into that daily regimen of training. Who knows? He may go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Kenny Omega, toe-to-toe -to -toe with, hell, say, Miro, or toe-to-toe -to -toe with Ricky Starks. So many people now for Punk to go up against. And Darby Allen was a great way to get him back in. There is a ton, especially after that main event, but we have one more match to get to before we get to the main event. The piss break match, like I said, there was at least one on the card. The uh, the big, the former Big Show, Big Paul White versus QT Marshall. This was a squash. Um, I don't think there was any prizes for thinking that Paul White was going to go over here. Uh, I know you believed in your heart of hearts, Ryan, that QT was going to go over in some way, shape, or form, but... 
Paul White ends up going over with a quick, in, quick and easy choke slam. One, two, three. Gets gets the winner's share of the purse. Gets an easy night. Gets to hit the showers. I personally thought QT was going to win mainly because of that whole thing of turning the gun club heel against Paul White. And I thought that might play into a factor of this match. Maybe Q, like I said earlier in our predictions, maybe QT will have his gang beat up on Paul White before that bell rings. Paul will show at least some measure of uh, resistance, you know, like trying to dominate QT, but then his injuries catch up and then QT, you know, uses that diamond character for the finisher. That's how I thought that they could play this out. But, you know, they gave that win to Paul White. No, and yeah, QT was not going to gain anything from this. But his character-wise, I thought would have given the factory more TV time on screen. So when Cody does make his return, we kick up that little civil war now that looks like between the family, the nightmare fact, the nightmare family, and the factory. Yeah, I mean, I can I can see where you're going with that, but you know, it's like Stephen Larson say: sometimes the go-home math doesn't lie, and in this mm -hmm. case, the go-home math didn't lie. Uh, we'll get, like I said, we'll breeze on through this. Uh, Brenton, your quick thoughts on Paul White versus QT Marshall. I don't like QT Marshall. That's all I have to say. There you go. Short, sweet, good point. <laughs> I mean, he's uh, probably a decent guy. He's probably a decent guy as a wrestler. Don't like him. Hey, everybody's got their opinions. So, all right. Now we come to the main event of the evening, the AEW World Championship match. Kenny Omega defends against the new Impact Champion, the man who took the Impact Championship off of Kenny Omega. Christian Cage. Um, yeah, like uh, we saw a lot of good stuff from this that we saw. We saw a lot of callbacks to their previous match, uh, especially with the, the Schmaz run in, or at least uh, when it, all of that happened with the Young Bucks and the Good Brothers and the distraction, which didn't necessarily pay off. Uh, a lot of good table spots uh, with Kenny Omega when he tosses the, uh, the table down on him and stomps on him like he was doing a New Japan match, which I thought was fun. Uh, you know, the spear off the apron through the table that had already been previously set up, which I'm like, okay, they set up the table earlier. How does that not cause a DQ? I don't get it, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, eventually, though, Christian gets a little too big for his britches, goes for an avalanche kill switch off of the ropes. Kenny Omega counters into a one-winged angel off the ropes. You know nobody kicks out of the one-winged angel. One, two, Three, your winner, and still AEW World Champion Kenny Omega. Uh, before we get in, into any of the shenanigans that happened after the match, I will go to Brenton first. What were your thoughts on the match itself in regards to Christian Cage versus Kenny Omega for the AEW World Title? It, I mean, it was a it was a very good match. Um, I know that Don Callis kept playing up the whole thing of, you know, he would, you know, Christian would finally get his five-star match, even though he would lose, you know, you know, I, I, not Dave Meltzer. I don't rate matches, but uh, I will say this. I I don't think I'd give it a five-star. Um, I, I think that'd be stretching it a little bit. You know, I, I'd, I'd give it about a four-star. You know, I'll be generous. Yeah. I'll be generous just because it's Kenny. Um, but with that being said, um, it was a good match. I mean, they both, they work well together. Um, 
let's all say a prayer for the family of Christian Cage because he clearly died whenever he took that move off the top rope. Um, I I was severely concerned for his health and well-being at that point. I was like, he's dead. Like, he's dead. Like, once again, somebody else dies in AEW, like, every pay-per-view. Yeah, but then again, we've, um, had, we've seen people come back from dead in uh, in AEW before. I mean, look at All In uh, a number of years ago. Yeah, like so. Um, but all it was a fun match. Um, I knew Kenny was walking out with the belt. There was no doubt about that. Yeah, uh, um, once Man got taken off the card, you knew he was walking out with that belt. Yeah, that's I was like, um. So, but it was a fun match. Um, the finish was definitely the best. I mean, the finish was that was just crazy. Um, yeah, number one kicks out of the one wing angel, one winged angel. Uh, certainly nobody kicks out of a one winged angel from the top rope. Um, if you do, you deserve to be a Navy SEAL, um, <laughs> or Marine. Or something, you know, like you're a superhero. But uh, fun match, um, good main event. Uh, there's nothing, you know, nothing more I can say than I thoroughly enjoyed the match. I'm sorry, I don't know for whatever reason. Uh, I don't know if you've ever watched the show or not, but when you said nobody kicks out of the one wing angel, especially off the top rope, uh, part. Part of me had a had an image in my head of somebody rolling that clip and then somebody actually kicking out of it, and then it's just the the old carny from uh, uh the the weight guess guess the weight of the pig on Gravity Falls going, are you some kind of witch? So oh yeah, <laughs> I, 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 that that just that thought came to mind and it it tickled me pretty hard. Anyway, uh, Ryan, if you're still there, can you chime in to let us know what's going on and uh, give us your thoughts on the match? If not, we will go ahead and soldier forth. Okay, that tells me everything I need to know. So, uh, yeah, when, <laughs> overall, when it comes down to it, you know, I, I really enjoyed the match. I really thought, again, good storytelling back and forth. Uh, again, a lot of a lot of good callbacks to the the previous match that they had on Rampage, which I thought was great. Um, again, having Christian beat him for the Impact title, I thought was good. Again, give him kind of that crisis of confidence and everything. Again, one thing I do want to want to point out here because I think it's hilarious is I think it's funny as hell that Kenny Omega is walking around with the same kind of like mutton chop mustache combo that Triple H walked around with for so many years because you know that's intentional. <laughs> oh, absolutely, a hundred percent. Right, it clearly is. <laughs> Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Ryan, your thoughts just on the match itself for uh, Kenny Omega Christian Cage AEW World Title? I will say, as unfortunately as Christian Cage being the replacement contender for at Hangman Page, this was still a very good match. It's a match between veterans. You see here, mm -hmm. and also I liked how they were building the storyline to work with Don, adding Don Callis into this little storyline of Christian Cage talking about in his young career. Don Callis puts him in a match, but then at the same time kind of sandbags him by saying Don Callis believes that 10-year-old Kenny Omega is going to be the future of the business, kind of planning this whole thing to where Don always had his eye on Kenny to where it kind of undercut a talent like Christian, who felt they deserved a little bit of rub in order to get their careers going. But I like that added bit of storyline going in. And it made the match 
in my in my opinion, a little more enjoyable to watch because with Don Callis there at ringside or, or you know like on commentary, you do see when Kenny wants to use certain of his own little fixtures, like uh, when during the match when he was when he when he normally does his little you can't escape, and then Christian yeah. gets out of it. Loved it when the crowd was chanting he escaped, getting more into Kenny's head, and yeah. then just those table spots. I liked both. I like those two different table spots to where Kenny puts Christian underneath the table and stomps on him, and then Christian spearing Kenny through the table. I liked how we got two similar table spots but used in two different ways. So I really appreciated that. And then, of course, the way of course Kenny being the heel, he can't get he can't win unless someone from his group comes in. So we get the Good Brothers showing up. Don Callis tries to, you know, call do something dirty, but Christian's able to turn on it, but it wasn't enough. And then that fall away or that super uh, one-winged angel, that, I mean, the one-winged angel is already protected. But knowing that move happened there, I really believe that move, that's going to be safe for something special. So when someone does kick out of it, that's going to be where the crowd loses their shit. And I like that how that thing was introduced here at All Out. <laughs> yeah, 100%. But once again, Kenny Omega walks out with the W, the Good Brothers, the Young Bucks, all get in the ring to celebrate, start beating down Christian Cage even further. Jurassic Express runs in to try to make the save. They get beat down for their troubles. Kenny Omega grabs the stick and says, hey, listen, you're starting to figure it out, Chicago. Nobody's on my level. Nobody's ever going to beat me. Anybody who could have potentially beat me for this is either not here, they're already retired, or they're already dead. Lights drop. And I'm like, oh, I saw a lot of people speculating in like some chat groups because I went and watched a couple of reactions after this. A lot of people were making jokes in the chat, whether they were serious or not, that, oh, it looks like Undertaker's showing up. No, he's not. Shut up. Anyway, <laughs> but... No, I, mean, the I, mean, I caught that reference. I caught both of those references. They're already retired or they're already dead. I'm like, okay, I know where this is going. Yeah, but no, the lights go out. We, we kind of hold on this black screen for a second, and all of a sudden, the Tron hits, the music hits, it's Adam Cole. And yep, exactly. And I mean, the pop that hit that arena. I mean, we saw a lot of debuts that night, but Adam Cole coming to All Elite Wrestling when he was literally just in WWE a number of weeks ago in NXT, you know, again, letting your contract expire so you don't have to deal with those crappy no compete clauses. Yeah. Kind of has its advantages sometimes. And I, I know we've got another situation like that popping up with Kevin Owens apparently right now. And I know WWE is going to be sweating bullets, as is Fox trying to I keep him. Know, I know Fox will be sweating bullets, but I don't know about WWE because they're not using him right now. <laughs> not at the moment. But in any case, the point is Adam Cole hits the ring, does his whole thing. And again, it makes sense. Already dead. They killed Adam Cole off on being the elite a number of years ago. It all ties in. He hits the Adam Cole baby, stares down Kenny Omega, hits a super kick on Jungle Boy. Mm. And, of course, then it starts clicking in the audience's mind. Oh, no, he's joining the elite. He gives them all a big hug, does the whole thing where he tells Matt and Nick to kiss him on the side of the cheek like they used to <laughs> back when they were running in Ring of Honor. You know, uh, uh, Adam Cole grabs the mic. It's, uh, you know, uh, there's no doubt about it. The Elite is the greatest faction in the history of professional wrestling and ain't no chance in hell that anyone's going to stop us. Uh, you know, a lot of people are taking that, hey, that's probably a shot at good old Vince McMahon. 
Was it? Who knows? Not really sure. But the bottom line is, Kenny is like, only thing left for me to do is to send these people home happy. So I must bid you all goodbye, smooch. And he goes for the good night. But as he does, we hear the familiar tone of Ride of the Valkyries. Just coming in there, you hear the music, and then it just transitioned into this crazy, I'm just going to call it a trap beat because I got no other way to describe it. It's, and yeah, it's just it's this, And that's just this bombastic thing. And there he is. The one and only American Dragon, Brian Danielson, comes down to the ring, starts laying in the kicks to Kenny. I mean, Kenny, Kenny bails. Yeah. Starts laying in the kicks to the elite, starts kicking the crap out of all of them, hits the running knee. I believe he hit it on Nick Jackson before the yes. end of the night. Uh, the crowd's all chanting, yes, yes, yes. Brian's not doing any of that. Or I'm sorry. Yeah, Brian's not doing any of that because – he, uh, he mentioned in the post-show media scrum, he's not sure how much of that he can get away with anymore because technically that's not his IP. No. Uh, but the bottom line is in the same segment, in the same night, we saw the return to, let's call it pro wrestling, because where they were at before wasn't pro wrestling, although in Adam's case it was the closest thing you could get in that company. The return to true pro wrestling of Brian Danielson and Adam yeah. Cole, baby. So, uh, Ryan, we'll go to you first on this one. Thoughts on the two debuts? Well, the Adam Cole, uh, at first, when I heard Kenny Omega do that whole thing they already did, I'm like, is he is Cole going to debut? And then when I heard that music, I popped. I definitely popped when I saw that. I was in my chair rocking, oh, my God, Adam Cole, baby! And, but then uh, when he was going down that ramp, certain thoughts were going through my head from where he exited out through the ramp because throughout AW they have those two different distinct entrances for reasons. One for the faces, one for the heel. Back to come out through there, I'm like, wait, he's taking, I mean, yeah, he's doing his whole time going to the ring, but then once he goes in there, I'm like, it's just him against the elite. There's no way they're going to have him beat down and do this whole thing where he makes his big comeback. And then once I saw that super kick, I'm like, yeah, it makes so much sense. They're not going to, it's, it's a little too, It'd be a little too convenient to make him a face right now. They have there needs to be a good storyline, and then also that little talk back and forth he had with him. He's like, "You, I remember what you did to me. I know what you did to me." I'm like, "Are they really? Did, did he actually say did you guys kill me?" No, he's just like, "I know what you did to me. That was it." So I'm going. They're gonna hold something off. They're gonna hold maybe Cole going up against Kenny somewhere down the line. <laughs> but I do know. Maybe, there, maybe there's a situation where Adam Cole usurps the elite from underneath Kenny Omega kind of turn about as fair play. You kick me out of the bullet club. I'm kicking you out of the elite. Who knows? I mean, that could happen. And then of course, yeah, I like the fact that Cole without missing a beat, he's just like from him being a heel in NXT, he just easily goes back into the Cole. He was at ring of honor with the bucks, with Kenny, the story time with Adam Cole. And then, yeah. And then of course, Brian Danielson showing up. I actually do like that new theme he's got. It's so it's really good actually. It is really good. It's definitely unique. I will give it that. I I need a little time to grow for it to grow on me. Yeah, I don't blame you. But seeing Brian Danielson show up, him immediately joining I mean coming to the aid, you know, getting Christian the Jurassic Express up. I did like that. And of course Kenny's slipping away. I'm like, it's it's typical Kenny. Of course he's gonna do that. Even with the huge numbers of the elite. I like that stare down. It was Brian. Christian, 
Jungle Boy, Luchasaurus with the Bucks, Cole, and um, well, I Cutler, I believe. Yeah, 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 Cutler. Yeah. No, the Good Brothers actually were the ones at leaving the ring when Danielson was coming to the ring. So, yeah, it was mm. definitely Cutler. So, I did like that little standoff there. Yeah. All right. Uh, Brenton, your quick thoughts on the debuts of both Adam Cole and Brian Danielson in AEW. Um, well, so I had a feeling that, that, that Brian Danielson was showing up. Uh, just something told me that he was. And when the lights went out, I was like, well, there there he is. He's coming out. And then Adam Cole comes out, and I was like, holy shit. Because last time we had heard, he was in negotiations with it, you know, for a new contract. Mm-hmm. And just all of a sudden, he's in AEW. Like, it's like, okay, well, that this is a, this is different. Okay. Um, yep. A good different, but okay. You know, and so I'll, I was like, Brian Danielson's still coming out. And so, um, great, two great debuts back to back. I mean, and the whole stare, yeah, like the whole stare down was great. Um, I do think, like, with the whole Adam Cole saying, you know, I know, uh, you know, I remember what you did, all this stuff. You know, it, it's yeah, like you said. I think Ron, it was, you said it's not. Don't turn a baby face just yet. This, you know, it 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 needs to be a gradual thing to where, yeah, maybe he takes out the elite from within. Yeah, or maybe um, it becomes an elite civil war. You got Kenny and the Good Brothers versus Adam and the Bucks. Exactly. You know, so yeah. That- like that honestly you know so i mean there's so much stuff we we're gonna get to see um this right now is the best time to be a wrestling fan y'all oh yeah um (laughs) so but oh that that was solid ending to the show um i'm with james on the whole uh uh, brian anderson theme um it'll have to grow on me um, it's a little different, but other than that, that was a great way to send off the audience, send them home happy, and send everybody else that was what you know, send everybody watching, you know, at home, you know, send send them off happy. Yep. Because I, I sure as hell was. Oh yeah, like I I was smiling from ear to ear prior to, to heading to bed after the pay per view went off the air. Great, great stuff. I mean, the future's looking bright for AEW, and I personally can't wait to be there along for the ride, especially on the Chris Jericho Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea Triple Whammy. Myself, Ryan, our buddy Haven, and Brenton will all be there this October. We will be going from Miami, Florida to Grand Bahama and back. It is going to be a fun time. It is a massively stacked list of guests, including the Olympic girl, gold medalist Kurt Angle including Bully Ray, including Medusa, including Hacksaw Jim Duggan, the Rock and Roll Express, not only that, but current AEW talent, including Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, Orange Cassidy. Heck, New Japan talent, Will freaking Ospreay is going to be on the cruise. 
It is going to be nuts, and I personally cannot wait. We will do our best to maybe try to get an episode recorded while we're on the cruise. That way we can throw that up to you guys. We would love to be able to do that for you, but again, it all depends on what we are able to get together because there is a ton of stuff that's going to be going on on that ship, and it will be very, very difficult to find the time to sit down and even check our pulse because it's going to be that much fun. And depending on the activities they may have on that cruise, I mean, sure, lots of wrestling, without a doubt. But some of the activities in there, I mean, there's going to be some stand-up shows, some concerts happening there. I mean, there's definitely some rock bands I definitely want to check out. And, hell, we're going to be interacting with so many wrestling fans there. Who knows? Hell, if we're awake at 3 o'clock in the fucking morning, we decided to do it, maybe we can record 40 minutes. <laughs> maybe. Who knows? It also depends on how... Depends on how many cocktails we've down by that point as well. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, our adrenaline's gonna be our adrenaline is gonna be so high, guys. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it, yeah, and like I said, Doctor Britt Baker has been confirmed for the cruise. Will Adam Cole Bebe follow? Who knows? Anna Jay's also been confirmed. Uh, both yep. students Anna and people of the Dark Order. Yep. Uh, some of the later towns like Jamie Hader has also been uh, confirmed. Jamie Hader, the Gun Club, a lot of people are set to go, uh, be there. Dean Malenko will also be on there. And a legend of the ring in her own right, Jazz, has also been confirmed yes. for the cruise as well. That's the prize B. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of fun. We are looking forward to it. Uh, we are under 40 days away from the best vacation of our lives Again, we we had, we all met on the cruise. Well, Ryan and I met prior to the cruise, but we met Brenton while we were on there, and we just all kind of convalesced into this show. And I think it's worked out best, uh, worked out pretty damn well for all of us involved. So, amen uh, to that. Absolutely, it's fun to talk wrestling, but we need to wrap it up here, as Kenny Omega would say. We must bid you all adieu. So, before we get going there, I will go to each of my co-hosts and find out what they're involved in and where you can find them. We will start with. Brenton, down over here. Brenton, where can the good people find you, man? Uh, primarily Facebook. Uh, Brenton McPherson. It's uh, M-C-P-H-E-R-S-O-N. Um, not that hard to find me. Um, picture is just it's me um, at the University of Tennessee inside Neyland Stadium, given the uh, you know number one because we beat Florida a couple years ago, even though we haven't beat them since. But that is what it is. Hey, um, there's always, there's always, yeah. We, <laughs> it's another topic. Go on later. Yeah. Um, you know, but that is the main place to find me. Um, yeah, you know, I will accept friend requests from whoever. I love meeting new people. So, holler at me there. Absolutely. And of course, my good friend, the one and only Mr. Ryan Payne right over here to my left. Ryan, where can the good people find you? Well, definitely, of course, obviously with the with this podcast, Wrestling Ramblings and Rages, whenever we th- whenever we shoot up a new episode live on YouTube or on audio podcasting. And also part of Shaman Air Productions. I mean, James and I have been doing live reactions to so many good content that's been out there from the MCU TV shows. Uh, with even the Star with the Bad Batch. I mean, we definitely got planned up to look at some of the new stuff coming out, like the He-Man TV show. Uh, I don't know if anyone's noticed, but that new Hawkeye trailer had just dropped, and the release date of that show is coming up soon. So yep, I was just about to bring that up if you hadn't. So yeah. <laughs> And then also, if anyone's fans out there, outside of wrestling, if you're fans of movie trivia, I have this uh, YouTube channel, uh, YouTube show on a channel called Schmoes of the North, 
And the show I have on every Saturday is called Mount Schmodown. It's just simply uh, we kind of do our kind of like what ESPN does for sports. Mount Schmodown, we kind of do that for movie trivia. We look at people who play movie trivia, and we kind of do like a little retrospective on the matches they play, just for fun, good roundtable discussions. <laughs> Absolutely. And as always, you can find me, your host of the most, James Shimo, right here at Shimonator Productions. Like Ryan said, we do live watch-alongs for Star Wars The Bad Batch. We're going to finish up on The Bad Batch. We'll probably do a big old binge all the way through it again just to, be, uh, just to have some fun when the, all of the now that all the episodes are out and when we've got some free time, maybe during my fall break before the cruise. Uh, we will be doing the same thing with uh, the rest of Marvel's What If. We will be doing the same thing with Hawkeye. Witcher Season 2, He-Man, Masters of the Universe Revelation, all of that good stuff as well. You can also find me over on the Schmodown's Twitch channel. Uh, that's over on uh, twitch.tv slash the Schmodown. I compete in the FCL there, the First Class League, which is a movie trivia league. But this coming Tuesday, the main event will be a wrestling trivia match between two absolute titans of wrestling trivia, the outlaw John Roca and the man Aaron Turner. Both two great, very knowledgeable wrestling uh, personalities. They run, I believe, what is it called? The Strong Style Podcast that they yeah, run. Strong Style um, Podcast. That's correct. Yeah. So definitely check them out. To check out the match live on Twitch this coming Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, uh, 5 p.m. Oh, no, I'm sorry, 4 p.m. Pacific. So, yep, yep. Uh, yeah, so be sure to join us for all of that, guys. Thank you so much for joining us for this show. If you liked it, be sure to like, share, subscribe if you're on YouTube. Give the little notify bell a hit so that way you know exactly when our new episodes are coming out. If you're listening to this on any of your favorite podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, anything of that nature, go ahead and give us a subscribe. Leave us a review. Let us know what you like about the show, how you want us to improve, this, that, and the other. It helps us go a really long way. But thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, as always, for joining us. I am your host, James Shima. On behalf of my co-host, Mr. Brenton McPherson and Mr. Ryan Payne. We will see you guys next time. And until then, hey, ref, ring the bell already.